I've become a fan of Lex Friedman podcast, and I like it because he will interview the gamut from political world leaders to business people to scientists. And uh, the other day, I listened to his interview with Jeff Bezos, and it reminded me of a handful of lessons and brought some new ones to the table. I wanted to share them with you. So, regardless of what you think about Jeff, you would probably find it difficult to argue his success in building an organization to scale that has had uh, an incredible impact on the world and many of many of our lives, and a lot of it good. Some of it not, but a lot of it good. Start off by giving you, wasn't part of the discussion between the two, but an old quote that I, that I liked and, and I resurfaced. And here, Jeff's talking about hiring. And he says, quote, Will you admire this person? If you think about the people you've admired in your life, they are probably the people you've been able to learn from or take an example from. For myself, I've always tried to work only with people I admire, and I encourage the folks here to be just as demanding. Life is definitely too short to do otherwise. It's an interesting reframe because a lot of the times when people think about hiring, they think about I'm hiring somebody that is going to report to me. I'm a fan of the idea that we support people that we hire. So it says, uh, hey, first, the person we're hiring, we're going to learn from. We're going to admire them. They're going to have something we're going to take away. Two, if we admire them, we're probably going to like them. And then three, if we're doing a really good job of hiring somebody that we, that we admire or has skills, we're probably finding somebody that could potentially replace us. And it's not always easy to do that. It takes an incredible amount of confidence to maybe hire somebody that's better than you, but it is always, always, always the right decision for you, for the organization, and for everyone. So hire people you admire. Thanks for that. Okay, here we go. Handful of, handful of lessons and, and reminders. First one, invention and efficiency are at odds. Incremental improvement is linear. That's the whole idea of Betty. Better today than yesterday. We're just going to get a little bit better every single day, and it is going to stack up. It's going to compound. We have to do that everywhere. But here, Jeff is talking about something different. He's saying invention is different. It's lateral. You make a jump. And in order to invent, you've got to give yourself space, time, and resources to wander. Because invention, by definition, you, you don't necessarily know the answer. You're working to figure out the answer. So give yourself space to wander. I love that idea. The second is killing ideas is easy. New ideas are not fully formed, and once they pass the first level of scrutiny, which is probably you, and you're ready to bring them somebody else to somebody else, he has advice. He says, say to them this, it will be easy for you to find objections to this idea, but work with me. There's something here. I don't know what it is yet, but there's something here. And it's a good reminder that ideas are easy to kill, and it's hard to do the work until they work. Somewhere along the way, I got this tip, this lesson that I don't use enough, is when somebody brings you something, an idea, respond with immediately. The first thing you should say is, what I love about that is, and then go for those. It's too easy because as humans, we don't like change and we can find the flaws or the risks and things. There's fear, but what I love about that is. Okay, next one. Brilliance is in the cost reduction phase. So new ideas are central. Going from nothing to a new concept has to happen. But real invention happens when you can bring something to scale. And if you think about it, Henry Ford didn't invent the car. 
he invented a way to build the car cheaper and bring it to mass production. And the same thing that Bezos and Musk are doing with space travel, they didn't invent space travel, but they are working hard to try and make it more cost effective. So cost reduction means inventing a better way. One-way door versus two-way door. Big favorite of mine, and he dives into it here, and I'll, I'll share exactly what he said. He said, quote, a two-way door decision, you pick a door, you walk through, and you spend a little time out there. And if it turns out to be the wrong decision, you can come back in and pick another door. Some decisions are so consequential and so important and so hard to reverse that they really are one-way door decisions. You go in that door, you're not coming back. The senior team has to make one-way door decisions. They have to, to focus in on the big things that are difficult or expensive to reverse. Two-way door decisions, this is where testing, failing, and trying again happens. Two-way door decisions should be made by one person or a very, very small team as close to the problem as possible. He highlights another problem with one-way door and two-way door decisions is if you make your decision-making process so heavy, so robust, and I have been guilty in this in organizations that I, I belong to, if everything goes up to the most senior people, you have two problems. The first is your resources are not being spent in the right spot. You don't need your, your senior team focused in on two-way door decisions. Let somebody else handle that. You can fix them. Won't be the end of the world if it's the wrong decision. The second is organizations only move as fast as you can responsibly make decisions. So the more decisions that you can get down as close to the problem that can make quickly, test, fail, try it again, the faster, the more velocity your organization is going to run at. So be careful about adding weight to the decision-making decision making process. Okay, compromise is bad. Hmm. He says, quote, The advantage of compromise as a resolution mechanism is it requires low energy. The problem is it doesn't lead to the truth. He goes on. If you have two executives who disagree and they have a war of attrition, and whichever one gets exhausted first and capitulates to the other, wins. Again, you haven't arrived at the truth. Exhausting the other person is not truth-telling. Compromise is not truth-telling. And when we compromise, we're regressing to the group think. So by, by default, it's going to be an average decision, essentially, which will lead then to average performance. So we have to be careful not to compromise. And it's going to mean that you have to do sometimes what you don't necessarily agree with, but you have to do what Jeff calls disagree and commit. And this isn't compromise and commit. This isn't, well, I committed to you, but now that it's not working, I'm going to tell you all the reasons why I told you before it wasn't going to work. This is, I disagree with you, but I'm going to support you. Full tilt, chips on the table, let's go. We're going to do everything we possibly can to make, to make this work. Next one. Humans are not truth-seeking animals. Hmm. So good. Truths don't want to be heard. They're often uncomfortable. They're awkward. They challenge norms. They challenge status. They challenge positions. And people will be defensive of what those norms are. So by default, we don't want to, we don't want to tell the truth. And he shares a, a really salient point here. He says, if you go back 10,000 years and you're in a village, you go along to get along. By going along, you're going to survive. You're going to procreate. But if you're the village truth teller, there's a good chance that you're going to get clubbed to death at midnight. Because truths are hard and they're really, really uncomfortable. So two things. You have to set up 
your organization so that the truth can be brought up by anybody, no matter what their position, how much they get paid, whatever. Uh, the most junior person, if they have the data, they can bring, they can bring the truth to the surface. Uh, data's not, second, data's not always going to have the answer, though. There's going to be times where data and anecdotes disagree. And this is where Jeff, Jeff leans in and he says, if the data and the anecdotes disagree, the anecdote is, is usually right. He also says, you have to make this idea of truth not being what we do naturally a topic of conversation again and again inside the organization. You've got to be talking about the idea that we don't do it by default and we have to be, we have to be truth-seeking. Okay, last one. A proxy for truth can be dangerous. Talks about the point that at some point in the history of your organization, usually, especially in big organizations, you picked a metric to measure something you cared about, like customer happiness. And then over time, five, 10 years, the person who created it left. We forgot the connection of what the nuance is, of why it works, and maybe the world shifted out around you. And now that metric no longer tells exactly what you're looking for, which is customer happiness. But you, you fall into the trap of believing that the metric is the is customer happiness it's not it's just a proxy for customer for customer happiness ultimately you don't care about the metric you care about the reality of customer happiness and he says here you never want to get trapped by history it doesn't mean you discard history or you ignore it there's so much value of what's worked in the past but you can't be blindly following what has happened before and this is the last point that is which is important, and it's a big one for him, which is day one and day two thinking. He says, we'll always want to be in day one. Every single day is a fresh start. Every day you wake up and you approach it all as it's brand new, and you start again. Honor the history, bring the lessons forward from the past, but you start again every single day. If you move to day two thinking and you, get, you feel that you're safe and you feel that all these things are happening, you will get, you will, you will get past, you will lose, and, and you might die. I'll finish this... Um, this quote with you from Bezos, which I really like. He says, you aren't trapped by what you were or who you are. You can always change. It's day one, every single day, fresh start. All right, friends, I hope you found this helpful. If you did, do me a favor, hit like, and then share it with somebody else who you think might find it helpful too. It really helps and I appreciate it. I hope you're good out there.